Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. And the word of God reads as follows. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, when we sing praises to you, It reminds us that you are God and God alone, Lord. It reminds us of how fickle we have been throughout the week. How sinful we have been. Making things that are, making things gods that are not gods. So we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. And thank you for your mercy, Thank you that you have given us Jesus Christ who makes our songs and our praises and our singing to you effectual. That you hear them, O oh Lord, as we come and, and give all of our lives to you. You hear. And you fill us. And you open up the eyes of our hearts and, and our minds and you give us just a small glimpse of yourself and of your glory. And we're undone. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the gathering that is the saints. Thank you for songs that exalt you. Thank you, Father. As we go to your word, we ask for help now, Lord. These are your words. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make them effectual in our hearts. That you would open up blind eyes, unplug deaf ears, give understanding to our minds, O oh Lord. Help us to see Christ, to see him in all of his glory. We might fall down and worship him. Worship him not only with our lips. Worship him with our lives. Thank you for your help. This morning, Lord, we ask of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're actually uh, 
we read this morning, verses 1 through 9, but we're actually going to go through to 11 (laughs) this morning as well, okay? So I'll read that for us. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. We've come to Mark chapter 14 in our, in our trek through the gospel of Mark. And as we have seen, as we've going, been uh, working our way through this book, that Mark has a trajectory. He has a, he has a theme. He has a, a focus that continues to rise to the top of the, the various narratives that he records for us in this gospel. Mark is painting for us, he is seeking to paint for us a picture, a picture of a king. A king who has been given divine, divine authority, who has divine power, a king who is ushering in a kingdom, not by way of political power or military might, but through the means of sacrifice, the means of servanthood. Mark's focus is on Christ and his work. He is taking us through the life of Jesus, culminating, culminating his gospel with the cross. And that's where we are at Mark chapter 14. There is a shift there in the gospel as, as, as Mark seeks to hone in on the events of the cross leading up to it. That's his trajectory. Christ and his cross, his work. But if you've been listening over these last several, several months, there, there, is a, there is another theme that Mark has that's weaving its way through his gospel. And, and we can say it is almost the, the, the penultimate. So not the, not the primary focus of Mark, but it's a, a secondary focus in the gospel of Mark. He wants us to see Christ. Yes, that is true. But he also wants us to see what it is to be a follower of Christ. To be a disciple. Every, every chance Mark gets, he is creating for us this, this paradigm shift of, of what it is to f- be a follower of Christ. But make, make no mistake about it, though. These aren't Mark's standards. These are Christ's standards. And, and so really what Mark is doing is he is highlighting these standards and recording them in such a way so that we can see them clearly. We follow Jesus. He is the one who has called us. I find it interesting and And actually, quite ridiculous when people say that they know what it is to be a Christian or what a Christian is supposed to do. They think they know what it is to be a Christian because they have watched TBN or read about a Christian in the AJC or because they know someone who is a Christian. Brothers and sisters, Christians do not set the standard for what it is to be a follower of Christ. Jesus sets those standards. And the only way we find out Jesus' standards is by going to his word. 
Jesus clearly demonstrated this over and over and over again in his Gospels. Our text this morning is no different. Jesus vividly illustrates for us what it looks like to be a true follower of Christ and what it is to be a follower, a disciple in name only. In other words, in other words, a false disciple. That's right, I said it. A false disciple. This is a this is a scary, this is a this is a sobering, this is a sobering truth. Should should cause us though to, to be alert. Should cause us to pause, to do inventory, to reflect, and to ponder. Just because you say you are a disciple in name does not mean that you are a disciple in a heart. Brothers and sisters, if you have been, I know there have been some of you who have been Christian for, Christians for, for years. And it's a sad reality, but it is a reality that there are, there are some of you that know people whom you walk with early on in your life who said they were a follower of Christ. And this day, they are no longer walking with him. They are no longer part of the beloved. Brothers and sisters, I even hate to say it and I hate to think it and and I pray that everyone here would be there on that final day. But the reality is there are some false disciples in here, brothers and sisters. And so I pray that you would heed the word as it comes to you this morning. As we reflect, as we ponder. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a hard truth, but, but the Bible speaks of this. The Bible names names of people just like this. You remember Demas? Demas in 2 Timothy 4 and 10, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas, who was a follower earlier on, because he had a love for this world, left Paul and deserted him. But not just Demas. We learn of Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1 and 10. 1 and 19, he says, by reflecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The Bible is naming these as those who were once walking and seemed to be followers of Jesus, but they were followers in name only. And they left and walked away from faith. I don't think there is a more scarier verse than Matthew 7 and 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does not does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
Brothers and sisters, I bring these verses up this morning because I want us to pause. Mark has has placed this account here for a reason. Let's pause and let's heed Mark's leading. Let's look to the words of our Lord and take inventory this morning. Here in Mark, as he is about to transition in his gospel to the, to the culmination, to the cross, to the, to, the, to, to the final work of Jesus' life, Mark gives the final glimpse of what it is to be a true follower of Christ and reminds us that there are some who appear as though they are close to Christ, but their hearts are far from him. Our backdrop is a familiar account. Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper, and he is having a meal with his disciples Mark doesn't mention the disciples, but we learn that information from the other gospel writers, Matthew and John. While they are conversing and and, and probably listening to Jesus as he, he taught them, a woman, a woman approaches the table. Now, before we take a look and Look at this woman and try to find out who she was and and what she was doing there. I think it's important that we understand who else was around and seated at that table. Simon the leper was there, right? Because this was his house. I mentioned earlier that the disciples were there. But I want to draw your attention to who was amongst the disciples. Amongst the disciples seated at that table was Judas. Understand now that Mark is writing this account. He is writing this account after, after the resurrection, after the cross, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so what he is doing is he's, he's painting for us a picture. There's, there's a reason why he has strategically placed this account here. It's not chronologically right, but he is seeking to make a point. Mark wants us to grasp something. The story is strategically placed. There was one who was close to to Jesus, one of the 12 who was a false disciple. And he would like to contrast the actions of this woman who came to Jesus with the actions of Judas. He liked to contrast one who understood who Jesus was and one who failed to grasp who Jesus was and therefore sought to gain the whole world and what we soon find out, lost his soul. Judas was at the table. And as this woman approaches, this woman approaches the table now, Now, there is no doubt that she would have received awkward glances. Women in the culture were not respected. And so unless a woman was summoned, unless she was bringing something uh, uh, to to, to add to the meal, she was not expected to, to approach a group of men eating dinner and discussing things. And so as she as she approaches the table, people would have been like, what in the world is she doing? There would have been whispers going on. What, who does she think she is? Why is she approaching us? 
would have been a social no-no. Her approach as well as her actions to Jesus are met with indignation and scorn and rebuke. And it is here, it is here where I believe that Mark begins to show us the contrast between what it is to be a true disciple and what it is to be a disciple in name only. Brothers, the first mark we see of a, of a disciple in name only is a lack of compassion. Jesus says that they will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Jesus always demonstrated compassion and he expects and expected his followers to as well. Here was a woman who came to Jesus to worship him and to honor him. And instead of being met with, uh, with, with commendation and, and met with uh, welcoming, welcomed by the disciples, she is met with scorn and rebuke. Here she was given an extraordinary gift. She's not met with compassion, but she is met with rebuke. The Bible says that they are in Indignant and outrage and begin to rebuke her. Brothers and sisters, a disciple in name only lacks compassion for those who are seeking to worship Jesus. The disciples of Jesus don't seek to hinder the worship of God. They in Encourage it. Jesus had taught the disciples that with the children, did he not? In Mark chapter 10, as as those, as as parents were bringing their children to to Jesus, the disciples sought to push the the children away. No, 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 no. He doesn't have time for the children. Jesus said, no, no, no. No, no, bring them to me. When the disciples sought to hinder people from coming to Jesus to worship him, Jesus said, no, no, let them come. But they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. And you know what? John tells us that Judas, Judas was the one who was leading the charge of the rebuke. Judas was the one that spoke up. False disciples lack compassion for those who come undeterred and unashamedly to worship Christ. You can only worship Jesus the way they say that you can worship him. They fail to to remember that Jesus sets the terms regarding how he is worshiped. They lack compassion and fail to welcome true followers of Christ. They think that they're the gatekeepers instead of Christ. They think that they're the gatekeepers instead of Christ, and they fail to listen to the words that we read in Romans 15 and 7. Welcome one another. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, A disciple in name only lacks compassion. But not only do they lack compassion, they lessen the worth of Jesus. 
they lessen the worth of Jesus. After this woman gives this extraordinary gift to Jesus, valued at a significant amount of money, Judas says, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) Do Do you know how much that is worth? Do you know what you could have done with that ointment? Do you know how much you could have sold that for? You could have given all of that money to the poor. Now, that's a good idea. There's someone using his head, right? What a great Christian act of service. Let's, let's sell this so that, not, not so that we could buy a new car, not so that we could save it up for a rainy day. No, let's sell this money so that we could give it to the poor, so that we could help a missionary on the mission field, so that we could help fight child hunger. You would think that this would have gotten a welcome response, that Jesus would have said, yes, Judas, you finally got it. Well done, Judas. Good job. Pat on the back. No. No. I mean, this is strange, right? Because didn't Jesus tell the rich young ruler, go sell everything that you have, all your possessions, and give the money to the poor? Jesus, Jesus has a different response. He says this, for you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. Now understand, what Jesus is saying here is not don't worry about the poor. This verse should never, this verse should never, ever, ever be used to justify not serving and taking care of the poor. That is not what Jesus is saying. He is not saying, do not be concerned about social justice. Jesus, all throughout the gospel, is there healing the poor. He's feeding the poor. He's he's, he's helping those in need. The Bible speaks greatly about the poor and that we should care for them. That is not what he is saying. What Jesus is saying is don't get it out of order. Don't get it out of order. Many of you know and are familiar with the organization, the YMCA. Young Men's Christian Association. The YMCA started out as a a Christian organization. But I would bet that many of you, if you were to go into a YMCA today, you would not know that it started off as a Christian organization. Hospitals started off sometimes, some of them as as Christian organizations. The SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Nowhere to be Christian anymore. You see, they started off good. They started off with Christ as primary. But then slowly, slowly, Christ started to become secondary. And they are no longer Christian organizations anymore. They are all about social justice. And yes, social justice is important. 
But the, 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 the bent of a disciple in name only is to make the worship of Jesus secondary and not primary. You, you somehow determine that caring for the poor, caring for others is more important than worshiping Jesus. When Judas makes that statement, what do you, don't you realize how much that money, how much we could have made off of that oil and given it to the poor? What he is saying is that Jesus is not worth it. Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. Don't get it out of order. Do not forsake your first love. And and brothers and sisters, you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the greatest commandment, didn't we say that God's jealousy benefits others? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is about order. If you love and worship Jesus with everything, then the poor will benefit. They will be recipients of the overwhelming grace and mercy you receive from Christ. You're going to be so overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy and his love for you that you can't help but give mercy and grace and comfort and compassion to the poor. But if you love the poor with everything and Jesus becomes secondary then you end up forsaking what is of utmost importance, namely eternity. Oh, brothers and sisters, there may be satisfaction temporarily, but if you get Jesus, if you put Jesus secondary, your eternal destiny is at stake. And guess what? No true disciple says Jesus is secondary. This is his standard. This is his standard. He says it in Luke 14 and 26. If anyone is to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are hard words, brothers and sisters. But they're clear. They're hard words, but they are clear. A disciple who begins to get their priorities out of order must heed these words. Must heed them. A disciple of Jesus, a a, a disciple in name only, lessens the worth of Jesus. But... But there is one more mark of a disciple in name only that I think the Bible makes even clearer. And that is that they are a lover of money. A lover of money. Matthew 6 and 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I don't know how much clearer you can be than that. You can't be a follower, a true disciple of Christ and love money. Why? Why? 
because Paul tells Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's what he tells Timothy in in 1 Timothy 6 and 10. And then he says, it is through this craving that some, that some, in that some we can put Judas, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love, of Eve, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what Judas did, what Judas did was pure evil. And at the root of it was a love of money. That's what Mark tells us in verse 10 through 11, right? That Judas went to the chief priests in order that he might betray them. And they told, them, told him that they would give him money. Here was Judas, right? One of the 12. He, he was there and, and as Jesus performed the miracles. He sat at the feet of Jesus as he taught the disciples. Jesus did say, though, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Judas was seeking to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Revealed that he was one of the the 12, but he was a son of the devil. What this tells us, what this tells us is that you can fake the externals. You can fake the externals. You can be close to Jesus in appearance, but be light years away in terms of your heart. I may not know who you are. The person sitting next to you might not know who you are, but Christ knows. Isn't that what we learned a couple of weeks ago? That Christ knows the heart. And in Simon the leper's house that evening, Jesus knew who were his. Many thought that Judas was a shoo-in, but we learned a couple of weeks ago, Jesus knows the heart, and so Jesus knew Jesus' heart. What was in his heart that night came to light. It always does. Whatever is in the heart always comes to light. Brothers and sisters, he loved money. And it came to light in his actions. Should be some questions that we should ask ourselves. Are we a lover of money? Are we willing to do anything just to make a buck? Brothers and sisters, some commentators talking about this passage said, said 30 pieces of silver was nothing. It, Judas would have taken less than that. We need to take inventory of our lives. We need to take inventory of our lives and ask the questions, are we a lover of money? What's in the heart will always come to light. And it's true of the true disciple as well. And we see that in the woman. 
We see that in the woman. Contrary to what was in Judas's heart, what was in the woman's heart showed as well. The woman's actions that evening revealed that she was indeed a true disciple. Remember, that's, that's, that's what we're seeking to draw out of this text. The marks of a, of a disciple in name only in contrast with the marks of a true disciple. And so we pick back up the account in Mark. As this woman, whom John tells us, is Mary. Mary, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. She is now before Jesus, and in her hands is a a flask, a flask made out of alabaster. And in this jar of alabaster is perfume. Now, Now, this doesn't mean anything to us. I mean, we go through bottles of perfume like nothing and cologne like nothing. For some of us, that's a good thing, right? Right? But in this culture, this, this perfume, this alabaster jar was, was expensive. This, this cost greatly. It, it says that it was worth a year's worth of wages. Think about that. A year's worth of wages. Can you imagine paying a year's worth of wages for some perfume? can't even begin to imagine it. And what she does is she takes this very expensive, valuable gift and she she breaks it, rendering it worthless, and she begins to pour it over the head of Jesus, Washing and anointing his head and his feet. Wiping his feet with her hair. Why does she do this? Because she wants to worship Jesus. She wants to to honor him. She does it because she treasures Christ above all. That's what a true disciple does. They treasure Christ above all. She has her priorities straight. She has them straight for her. Jesus is more valuable than possessions or riches. I mean, this this would have been a shocking act. That's why the disciples are so taken back. That's why people are like, what in the world are you doing? This is a shocking act. Do you not realize how much that is worth? Do you not know what you could have done with all of that money? Those are the questions that we hear from those who don't treasure Christ. We hear questions like this all the time. Why would you waste your time going to church on Sunday? Don't you know what kind of good could happen with the, the, the type of good you could do with this time? Don't you know you could help serve the poor on a Sunday morning? Don't you you know that there are other important things to be doing on a Sunday morning? Why waste your intelligence and go into full-time ministry? Don't you know what you could do with your intelligence? Maybe cure cancer? Maybe defend those who are in prison wrongly? 
Don't you know how much money you can make with that gift of yours? You would have more money to give to the church. Don't waste it by giving it to the church for free. Some of you are facing those very questions right now. Some of you from outsiders, some of you from internally. You are seeking to follow Christ and to worship him with everything, seeking to use your gifts, finances, and time to worship Jesus. And there are those around you saying, you can do better. You can do better. It doesn't take all that. There is more that you can do. Don't waste your your time and your talents and your treasures on Jesus. I'm here to tell you this morning, if, if you are hearing those very words, if you are hearing that from outsiders, if you are hearing that internally, I am thankful that you're here. Because I want you to hear the words of Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. There is nothing better to give your life to. True disciples treasure Christ above all. So if you're hearing those words, I want, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tune out those voices. Tune them out. Ignore them. And, and listen here to the words of Christ. Listen to what he says to Mary. He says, leave, leave her alone. He defends her. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done a good thing to me. She has done a great thing. She receives affirmation from the Savior. Well done, Mary. You have chosen the better portion, Mary. Remember, those are the words that Jesus spoke to her. Those are the words that Jesus spoke to her in Luke 10 and 41. When Mary and Martha, uh, when Jesus was at Mary and Martha's house, and Martha was washing the dishes, and, and, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is upset because she's doing all the dishes by, her, by, by herself. And she goes over to Jesus and says, Jesus, what about Mary? She needs to help me. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 Martha. Mary has chosen the better portion. Brothers and sisters, Christ is worth it. If you are living your life in such a way that Christ is first in such a way that you are pouring out riches, gifting, time, possessions to the glory, honor, and worship in Christ. And there are those around you saying, it doesn't take all that. Spend it elsewhere. Take heart. Jesus affirms you. He reminds you that he is worth it. That he is worth it. True disciples treasure Christ above all. But they're also a testimony for Christ. They're a testimony for Christ. Jesus, in speaking about what Mary has done, said that she anointed my body beforehand for burial. On several occasions leading up to this, Jesus has spoken about his pending death. But what most didn't 
believe him. There are, there are others who did not want to believe him. But as the scriptures predicted, Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to go to the cross. That was his plan from the very beginning. Nothing was going to thwart it. He was going to the cross. Mary, Mary may not have understood this. And this, we know the disciples sure didn't understand this. But one thing is for sure. She was being directed by the sovereign hand of God. And so Jesus, in making reference to him being anointed for his burial, is again reminding the disciples that his death was coming. In several days, he would be going to the cross. And Jesus affirms her. And he says her actions, her actions give testimony to this gospel. That's what they do. They give testimony to the gospel. Her sacrifice, her lavish sacrifice, her exorbitant sacrifice pointed people to the ultimate sacrifice. Namely, Jesus Christ himself. He who was rich had become poor so that we, we might be rich. This says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And then Jesus concludes it with this. He says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Her actions were so commended by Jesus that we are reading about her today. And we are reading about her today. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed this sacrifice would be told. True followers of Jesus Christ live lives in such a way that it testifies to the worth and to the value of Christ. It adorns the gospel. Your life and the way in which you live it commends the gospel. Do people wonder and say, wow, that is an awesome gospel by looking at your life. We look at the actions of Mary. We look at her, her, her giving, her sacrificial giving, and it stirs us. It stirs us. We are reminded that, yes, yes, he is worth it. He is worth that alabaster box. He is worth a year's worth of wages. We are stirred. So here's the question, brothers and sisters. Are you living your life that adorns the gospel and commends it to others? That... That both Christians and non-Christians can see? Is your love of Christ so much so that though there are those around you saying it doesn't take all that? Brothers and sisters, that is the characteristic of a true disciple. Oh, Oh, that would be, I mean, it would be great if people said it doesn't take all that. I mean, it seems like they would be insulting you, but you are just reminded, oh, oh, you don't know the Savior. You don't know the worth of Christ. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, says this. Why don't people ask about our hope? The answer is probably that we look as if we hope in the same things that they do. 
Our lives don't look like they are on the Calvary Road, stripped down for sacrificial love, serving others with the sweet assurance that we don't need to be rewarded in this life. Our reward is great in heaven. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. If we believe this more deeply, others might see the worth of God and find in him their true gladness. That's what it does. Does your life testify to the worth, to the value of Christ? Mark places this account here for us to take inventory, brothers and sisters. It is here to point, to paint a picture, and to remind us of what it is to be not only a follower of Christ in name only, but a follower of Christ in our heart. Where we are willing to give everything what the world considers treasure. Oh, we are willing to throw it away because we know that we get Christ who is more valuable than anything that this world can offer. Brothers and sisters, Christ is valuable. He is a treasure. So I pray that you know him this morning, that you know this wonderful treasure. Is there something holding you back? It's the love of money. Brothers and sisters, Christ is better. Christ is better. Trust him. Trust him. He is here this morning. Trust him. Let us pray.